Good morning. We have been preaching through the gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 22. We've come to verse 7. Jesus is about to, to eat his final meal before the cross. This meal in the clear plan of God was a celebration of the Passover. A meal he, as we will see, wanted to share with his disciples. It was one of the pilgrim feasts in the Jewish calendar, meaning that the Jewish people were to come to the city of Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. So we begin reading verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? Jesus said, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. They went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are here in our midst. You are not merely an observer. You are the most active participant here this morning. And that is a much needed grace. We praise you for this meal we read about in your word and that we will celebrate and feast on today. We praise you for the truths beyond expectation or dreaming of any human mind. These truths that are real and effective and eternal for us, your people. So may we be strengthened. And would you speak in clear ways to each one of us as needed in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what was the significance of the Passover meal? It was the most significant and most important and celebrated of all the Jewish feast days. This meal celebrated God's great deliverance of his people many centuries before. When the Israelites who had entered into Egypt as a, a large family had become a nation and over the centuries were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God answered their prayers for deliverance and he raised up Moses to be a great prophet and to lead them out. But Pharaoh resisted. So God sent a series of ten plagues upon the Egyptians. Each of the plagues was meant to discredit a particular Egyptian god, to show they were not gods at all before the true and one Lord God. The final plague was a plague of death, where the firstborn of man and beast in every household was to die, unless the blood of a perfect lamb was placed on the doorframe. And that night, the angel of the Lord passed over every home that had placed the blood of a lamb on the doorframe. Every home that did not have the blood in the doorframe, death came. And so the, the Egyptians sent out the people and they went through a great deliverance from God. And so the Passover helped establish the identity of God's people. To understand they were a helpless, enslaved people who had believed what God said and had obeyed him. Meaning they had faith in God. That's what faith is. To believe in God and then act out on what we believe. And he had delivered them when they put their faith in him. And so the Passover represented that they were a chosen people living in the power and grace of God. That was the Passover celebration. Jesus now offers a new meal to his disciples and to the church. For the Passover was just a picture preparing the people of God for this great event of the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection. And now we are given a meal by Jesus that celebrates the full expression of God's care and grace. The expression of what he came to do and what now is true and belongs to every believer. This meal is the Lord's Supper. It celebrates the realities of the Passover, but in a far greater way. We also were enslaved. Enslaved to sin under its guilt and its bondage. And so under the judgment of death. Death coming to each one who is guilty of sin. 
for that is the wage of sin. But God appointed a sacrifice, his own son, Jesus Christ, who by the shedding of his perfect blood delivered us. And everyone who places their trust in Jesus, they believe that he is the son of God who died to pay for our sin, that he was raised conquering sin and death. Everyone who believes and trusts in him, we follow him. We are delivered from the second death. We are delivered from the judgment of hell. And so for us, the Lord's Supper represents that we too, we are a chosen people living in the power and the grace of God. The Lord's Supper has two parts. First, Jesus gives us bread. Look again in verse 19. And Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents Jesus' body. This wonderful reality that the eternal God, who is a spirit being, join himself to human nature and flesh, what we call the incarnation. God became flesh, joining himself forever to human nature and dwelling with us. For in order to save us, God had to step into our place. It is those who have sinned humanity that are under the judgment of death the judgment for their sin. And so a man had to pay that price. Hebrews chapter 2 verse verse 14 says this, Since the children, speaking of mankind, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, That is, the devil. And so we we can be encouraged that God understands physical limitations. Jesus understands weariness. He understands what it is to be tempted. The scripture says he was tempted in every way, like us, but never sinned. Jesus understands Heartache, the loss of those you love, he understands betrayal. He understands physical suffering. He understands death. As we eat the bread, we remember that God now and forever shares life with us. He shares humanity. He has come that close to us. And in verse 19, it says the the bread was broken. God in flesh dies. What an amazing truth. God in flesh dies. 
so that we who are of flesh can live. The Lord's Supper includes not only bread, but also the cup, verse 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup represents that Jesus, God in flesh, poured out his blood, meaning he poured out his life. Life represents blood. That's why there's the focus on blood in sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11 tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so the focus on Jesus shedding his blood is to emphasize Jesus gave his life. He poured out his life for us. He did this to pay the penalty of our sin. The Bible is emphatic about why Jesus died. It was nothing accidental. It was nothing taken from him. It was not events that overtook his life. In Romans 6.23, it tells us why it was needed. For the wage of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1.7 adds to that, in Christ we have redemption, the price was paid. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus tells us that his sacrifice and payment makes a new covenant. This cup that is poured out is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant, the law given to the people of Israel under Moses, was good because it was from God. But it could not save. It was never meant to save. It was meant to direct the people of God to the realities of our need before him. To the realities of what does true righteousness look like? And then to, to unmask the reality that none of us can live truly righteous before God. We all fail miserably. The new covenant that Jesus establishes completes God's plan to save. What he had promised from the garden when sin first entered the world. What he had promised and spoke of over and over again and gave picture to in the old covenant. Now in Christ, it is made complete. It is fulfilled. For Romans 6.10 tells us that Jesus died to sin once for all. Once Jesus died, there is nothing more that we can do. There is nothing more that is needed to do. Jesus died once for all. That action by Jesus Christ in itself completed all that was needed to save everyone who would trust in him. We live out and obey and give honor to that work. But not a person can add to it. Jesus died once, and that was enough for all.
And this new covenant is beyond our ability to break. It is a commitment God makes that we enter into when we trust in him. But the covenant, the new covenant, did not begin with us in Christ. The, the new covenant began with the agreement between God the Father and God the Son. Where the Son, Jesus Christ, agreed to come to this world and to die for our sin. And the Father agreed that the payment of his Son is the sufficiency the new covenant is the most extraordinary and wondrous agreement that has ever been made in all of the universe and through and beyond time. The triune God has agreed that the coming of Christ and his death and resurrection would be the full payment and the full eternal salvation of all who would trust in him. It is the most magnificent of actions, of agreements and commitments. And we, we just enter into it. We become a part of it. And the third person of the triune God, the Spirit of God, has also agreed to come and dwell in every believer and to hold them, to keep them, so they cannot be lost and they cannot be pulled away. Indeed, they cannot even undo it themselves. For he is faithful forever to complete the work that he began in us. Oh, this meal that we are about to take, there is an abundance of nourishment in this meal. It is not merely a ceremony of the church. It is a meal of remembrance in which our faith is fed. As we take of the meal, we are confessing again and reminding ourselves and one another, this is true. Oh, there are many realities that batter you. There are many discouragements that come up within your own life and your own failures. But when we take this meal, we're reminded that the greatness of God far exceeds our failures. And the hope of God far exceeds all the misery of this world. And we feed upon the meal and we lift our heads again. And look to the Savior and worship and thankfulness flows from our hearts. And we walk again in ways that honor him. This meal is a feast from God. And so let's consider briefly some of the nourishment that comes from this meal. In this meal, we feed on the strength of God's sovereignty. We see in the initial verses that we read that even the smallest of details were in Jesus' hands as they are preparing the meal. 
when he sends them into the city, where are we going to celebrate? Jesus directs them to look for a man, which men didn't carry the, the water jugs at that time. He said, you're going to see a man. You're going to follow wherever he goes. You'll go inside, and whoever's there, you're going to say, the master is ready to use your house. And by the sovereignty of God, and we don't know the interaction between God and the person who owned that home. But we know in some way God had been working in their hearts. And we're told, and they found it just as Jesus had said. By sovereign knowledge, God guided the disciples to find a place for Passover. But we've seen that Jesus, he knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew the religious Leaders would arrest him. He knew that the Romans would crucify him. There were no surprises because it was all according to the sovereign plan of God over which Jesus ruled. How great is his his love for you? He was sovereign over everything that put him to death. And in humility, he bowed himself to it. He did not fight it. He established it to happen. Because without it, there is no other hope. How Jesus saves you was in his sovereignty. And so how Jesus keeps you is in his sovereignty. And everything that ever touches your life is covered by the grace of God and falls within his sovereign plan over which one day we will give praise for every moment. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us that we are always a people of confident hope. Despite the uncertainty and that we live in a world on fire, we have hope because our hope is in one person, Jesus Christ, who's sovereign and cannot fail. Secondly, we feed in this meal on the intensity of Jesus' commitment to us. Jesus does not save us begrudgingly He is all in. We read in verse 15, as they sit together for the meal, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He earnestly desired to eat this meal that represented his own death so that he might Help them to see and understand what was about to happen. He earnestly desired to bear what he bore for them and for you. And Jesus uses similar language later that same evening in John 17, verse 24. Whereas he prays to the Father, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That verse has come to mean much to me 
to reflect the passion of Christ. His heart desires that we're with, we are with him forever. And so all those lying voices of God's disappointed in you, God's mad at you, he wants you far, you have to pull away because you failed, that does not represent the heart of God. Jesus tells us what his desire is. To save us that we might be where he is forever. Jesus told them this meal. He says, it's for you. Verse 19, this is my body which is given for you. Verse 20, this cup poured out is for you. So the Lord's Supper feeds our soul with the reminders of God's unyielding love for us. He never gives up. Thirdly, we feed in this meal on the completeness of our salvation. Verse 16, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus' death and resurrection led to kingdom fulfillment. What are God's expectations? What is God's plan? How does life work? How do we ever get to God? How can we be saved? All of the answers are fulfilled in what Christ has done by his death and resurrection. The kingdom is fulfilled. The people and gathering of God is fulfilled by what Christ does. For he saves them and brings them and makes them a kingdom. We feed that our salvation is complete. Jesus has done it all. Even the faith required to trust in him. Ephesians says it is the gift of God. And so the Lord's Supper nourishes our soul by reminding us our salvation is perfectly and completely done. And we feed on God's provision of gospel community. Luke's account of the Lord's Supper at first might confuse some. Because he speaks of two cups being shared. In verse 17 he takes a cup and then we see again in verse 20 he takes a cup. In the Passover meal, there were actually four cups that were part of the, the feast. Each cup had a particular role. The first cup we read of in verse 17 was probably the first cup in the meal. Where after it is shared, the, the story of the Passover and God's deliverance was then told. And we see that this first cup, Jesus says, share it among you. But the bread was also shared among them. And the second cup, expressing Jesus' blood poured out, that was also to be shared among them. 
For the Lord's Supper is not a private activity. It is a meal for the gathered church. For it not only feeds our individual souls, we encourage one another as we live in a world that is predominantly opposed to our Lord and His Word and our convictions. And it feels at times like an overwhelming wave against us. And we're battered by it. And at times we wonder, where is their faith? Am I the only one? And as we gather and take the meal, we look about and we see, no, our Lord has been faithful. He is gathering others. We celebrated it a few weeks ago in the baptism of those who also had trusted in Christ. We saw it last week as we had men and women stand committing themselves to membership in the gathered church. We saw it this morning as we commissioned Gary to be a man faithfully serving in the office God has raised up to care for his church. And as we gather and so people, God, do not forsake the gathering for as we do, we see again God's faithfulness to many and through us to each other. And do we not all need that encouragement? And it's not just about you being encouraged. It is also about God using you to serve and encourage one another. And so the Lord's Supper encourages us with a reminder that we are saved into a forever family. And if you're irritated about one or two members of that family today, just remind yourself the Holy Spirit makes them like Jesus, which is the hope they need as they think about you. We cannot comprehend what it will be like to live forever with people who all have the character of Christ as the Christ is in our midst. What wonders God has for us. For those who bear sorrow and grief, uh, what a reminder of the delight those you love are sharing with Jesus right now. And so let us prepare for this meal, this feast. And as the worship team comes up, and as we sing, you know your burdens. They come to your mind. They're real. It's a part of your life right now. But in this meal, let us remember above all, not our burdens, let us remember our Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, feed your people. They need your sustenance. We need you. 
And as we take this meal, we rejoice because you we have in full. In the name of Jesus, we rejoice. Amen.